Good morning. Thankful to have you here, to see you each here this morning, and uh, just wanted to start off with a few announcements, and so if you would like to open up your bulletin, there's announcements listed in the, in the first, uh, first cover there. Uh, one, one announcement that we have that's kind of already begun is that we currently have a Divorce Care Sunday School class happening each week in the church library, and that's something we haven't got a chance to announce um, as often, and so that is still available to you. If you have any questions about that, you can see Mr. Howard Scarborough. Um, he's leading that class, and so um, if you have any questions, please let us know, but that is happening each week um, in the church library. Next Sunday, we actually have two um, events happening right after service next Sunday on the 11th. We're going to have a fundraiser lunch uh, to raise money for uh, Nicaragua and our partnership with them in the gospel, and so if you uh, would like to, we ask that you please stay and pick up um, a meal. Uh, you can eat at the fellowship hall or you can take one with you if you'd like. Um, and all the, all the proceeds from that will go to uh, Nicaragua. And then next week in the evening, we're going to have a Super Bowl watch party in the youth building. So that is not just for students. If, as a family, if you'd like to come, uh, we're going to have food and have the game on for the first half. Okay, because the game won't end until like midnight, and I don't know about you, but I'm not staying at the church until then. So, first half watch party, so you can watch the first half and drive home during halftime, okay? Nobody needs to see the halftime show anyway, I'm sure. So, um, if you'd like to come to that, that's next uh, Sunday at 6 o'clock. I already know that we have smoked wings on the docket, so if, that, if that's enticing to you, um, and you hate football but like food, uh, bring, a, bring something to share with us and, and come join us next Sunday night. Uh, on February the 16th, which is a Friday at 6 o'clock, we're going to have our third annual Galentine's event. Uh, that's for 6th to 12th grade girls. Um, it's going to be in the, in the youth building. If you have any questions about that, you can see uh, Emily Grissett, and she will point you in the right direction. And then two uh, later on events coming up. February the 25th, we're going to have our second par uh, parent partnership lunch. Uh, we're going to be going through a, a series of teachings from Paul David Tripp's Parenting, It's Not What You Think It Is. Um, really great study. And so there's a sign-up sheet for that in the back. If you have any questions, see me. And then it is already time to sign up for D-NOW. So D-NOW is a 6th to 12th grade event um, for our students that takes place each, uh, each year in, in uh, March. They stay at host homes, and we spend time with other churches and worship. It's a really great event. And so D-NOW is March 22nd through the 24th, and I have more information on that that I will get into your hands, parents. So I know that that's a lot, but luckily now you have something you can take home and remember um, all of those announcements. So... Yeah, so if you have any old suitcases that can go to Nicaragua and stay in Nicaragua, then uh, see James or Gina. Now, Durell, I believe, is reading this morning. And as he, as he comes up, just want to let you parents know that Children's Church, because of the weather and everything, and is going to happen in the Miller-Itzen classroom this morning. So when you come out, your kids will be right across the hall here. So just be aware of that when services are over. 
So glad to see all of y'all this morning. I know the weather didn't cooperate with us. It looks like it might get a little bit worse as the day goes on, so just kind of be aware of that. Though, trying something new like so many of us, you know, we, we, we can get about anything we want on these cell phones today. Uh, I have re refrained from uh, using my uh, cell phone to read the scripture when I have it. I've always used my Bible, but the, I have the same version on my phone. I'll be uh, reading the scripture from the NASB version, those of you that want to follow along. And we're going to be in uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 55, and the verses today is 1 through 3. Everyone who thirsts come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. The thing behind this verse is that if you are, if you are thirsty, come and receive that theme is throughout the whole Bible. God tells us to come to him for whatever the reasons are, and we'll receive what we need without any cost. We just got to let him know what it is. Examples are the Lord gave water to the Israelites when they were going through the desert on Mount Sinai. The same offer is part of Jesus' discussion with the uh, Samaritan at the well. Jesus repeats this offer to the crowds in Jerusalem when he's preaching there. And John records it at the final stage in Revelation. God wants us to come to him so his spirit can satisfy. Verse 2, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in abundance. Incline in your ear, and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. According to the faithful mercies that were shown to David. All we've got to do is come to God and to ask him, and he will direct us in the right way. You don't have to have your Bible to stop and think about God, think about verses that you know each and every day. When you're driving, when you've got a little bit of idle time, you just need to put that thought uh, in your mind and uh, let God know that, hey, I'm here, I'm asking, and I know that you're listening, and he will be listening. Let us pray. Our kind Heavenly Father, we just come to you today, and we just thank you for all the opportunities that you'll be putting before us, Father. And we just thank you for the hearing of your word uh, in our Sunday school classes today. And just keep our minds and our hearts open, Father, as uh, Neil brings us the message. And Father, we just love you so very much. We lift everything up to you, and this we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you'll stand this morning, we're going to begin worship with singing worthy of worship. <laughs>
be seated. And at this time, we're going to be blessed to have a baptism. Hey, y'all. We are blessed and grateful today to celebrate uh, salvation of Kinsley Holmes. Um, she is the daughter of Zach Holmes and Megan Orr. Uh, a lot of you may know her great-grandmother, Teresa Yates, who is a very special blessing to all of us. So Teresa shared with me that Kinsley's teacher at her school had shared the gospel with her and that she had accepted Christ as her Savior. I had a conversation with her. Am I taking too long? <laughs> no. <laughs> I usually go too long. had a conversation with her uh, several days ago, and she understands her sin, her need of Christ, and that Jesus died and rose from the dead, and Christ said, let the children come to me. So we are grateful this morning for Kinsley and her salvation and in obedience to Christ. Uh, the ordinance of baptism, which pictures salvation and what Jesus did for us. So, I'm going to pray, and then we'll have our baptism. Father, thank you this morning for your grace, the gospel, Jesus, and the fact that the faith of a child, for all of us, is the only way to enter into heaven and receive the gift of of eternal life. So, Father, may we all be children in our faith, trusting you, looking to you, believing in you fully, uh, and what you've done for us in Christ, his life, death, burial, and resurrection, which is pictured in this ordinance, among other things, forgiveness, the work of the Holy Spirit, the entry into the church. There's so much in baptism, Lord, and for that we are grateful, grateful for her public profession of faith through this, in Jesus' name, amen. Kinsley, it is my joy and our joy, in obedience to the command of Jesus, to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
if you'll stay standing, we're going to sing grace greater than all of our sins. Miss Joyce to play one more hymn for us, and as the choir comes down, I encourage you to hug the necks of the people around you and have a time of fellowship this morning. this time if you will be seated children are dismissed in children's church bryson's in the back let's pray before our message this morning dear gracious heavenly father god thank you so much just for allowing us to come into your house and worship this morning god lord thank you so much for beautiful baptism and just reminding us all that we are to have the faith of a child god um, and the trust and the longing and the eagerness to learn more as a child does, God. Lord, we pray for our children who are going to be in children's church and the leaders who are leading them. And God, I just pray that this morning 
we can be tuned in with our ears open and our eyes open and our hearts open, God, to hear from you so we can establish that Christ-like faith, God. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6 as the children leave. The fourth sign, the fourth sign in John's gospel is the feeding of the multitudes. And it's found in John chapter 6, but it's also found in all the other Gospels. So this is the only miracle that's in all four Gospels. So that says something of its significance and its effect on the life of the church and what God desires for us to learn through that. Of course, each week, the ultimate point is to know what the sign is. It's pointing us to. What are these particular signs pointing us to? Or rather, who are they pointing us to? And every week, each of John's signs, the ultimate purpose is to point to Jesus and to know more about Him, to come to love Him more, worship Him more, serve Him more, and put our faith and trust in Him so that we might have life. Hey, last night, driving through Franklin, I saw a sign that I had not noticed before. And it was pointing in a particular direction. It was flashing lights. There was particular detailed information on the sign. In each case in John's Gospel, the point remains the same. Look at Christ. Understand Him. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. Now to the fourth sign. And everything that goes before and everything that comes after, each of these signs is extremely significant. So if you want some homework, all right? Hey, read the passages in preparation for worship each week before and after the sign. That's especially important this week because do you realize that we already have a sermon in the Bible, from Jesus, about the significance of signs number four and five. So in, in, there, there's a sense in which what I really ought to do is go through the rest of John 6 and explain that because those are the words of Jesus about this sign that he wants us to receive and understand to, to get the point of the sign. So couple of those things I'll probably point out along the way. But anyway, John chapter 6, verse 1. So after these things, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, or Tiberias. There's a great multitude following him. Because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain. Now, this is significant. A mountain was symbolic of divine encounter. Going up on a mountain implied authority and teaching. So something significant is about to happen. A mountaintop experience, so to speak. So there he sat with his disciples. Now, and this is important too, there, there's so much here. We're not going to, you know this already, we're, we're not going to 
exhaust all the, the significance of the, the, the details within this, but it's Passover, okay? It's Passover. The feast of the Jews is at hand. And so Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing the great multitude that was coming to him, well, he says to Philip, now what I've learned about Philip is he was the, he was kind of an intermediary, but he was also a, a statistician of sorts. So he's kind of the brainiac of the group, the logic guy, the numbers guy. Uh, anyway, I just want to point that out because there are other places in John where you learn a little bit more about Philip than, than you know, at first just in passing would meet the eye. So, so Jesus asks Philip this question. And each sign so far has had a question or a significant theological jab, so to speak. And, and here's, a, here's a test. He said to Philip, where are we to buy bread that these may eat? Well, if you were listening when Durell read the Isaiah 55 passage this morning, you, you should already know the answer to that. I don't know if you were listening or not, so I'm not going to give that away. We'll get to that at the end. There's a reason why the texts that they read are read, all right, every week. It's not um, happenstance, so to speak. So he said this, verse 6, he said this to test Philip, to test him. So he's running some, some, some diagnostics here on where Philip is, where the other disciples are. You know, are, are they learning anything? Are they getting the, the, the ultimate meaning and importance from the signs? So in this test, this diagnosis, um, well, let me read the rest of verse 6. He himself knew what he was intending to do. Jesus had a purpose, <clears throat> this was intentional, this was going to be a demonstration <clears throat> and an opportunity to teach about himself. So Philip answers and he says, well, we ain't got the money, <laughs> all right? That's what he says. Jesus, you know, uh, you could add all this up and, it, and it's not going to make logical, rational sense. Because he says 200 denarii worth of bread, 200 days of work, whatever that would be in your economy, kind of do the math inside your head, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive even a little. Just appetizers, right? Just finger food. Like It's not going to satisfy, even if we had 200 days worth of, of, of wages, And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he says, verse 8, well, there's a, there's a little boy here, all right? And I guess his mom sent him lunch, <laughs> all right? So, because he's got five barley loaves, bread, uh, the bread of the poor, by the way, and, and he's got two fish, we got a sack lunch. But then Andrew, you think he's kind of on the right track, but then he chimes in. But, 
But what are these for so many people? So you see, Philip and Andrew represent the, the reality that the disciples like you and me, even after several signs, are still not grasping the fullness of how good Jesus is, how powerful he is, how, how amazing he is. So then Jesus says, verse 10, <clears throat> have the people sit down. He's got a plan. This is not an afterthought. He's in control. What a wonderful leader. What a wonderful Lord. The, the social scientists say the more people you've got at something, an event, and, and, and if a crisis occurs, the, the, the bigger the crowd, the less likely an individual's going to help. Everybody's looking around at each other. Here he is. All right, here's the plan. Here's the helper. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000, which you've probably heard. That's just the men with women and children. This could be 10,000, 15,000, 20,000. It, it, the Greek means it's a lot. Okay, this is a, a lot of people. Jesus therefore took the loaves, <clears throat> and get this, having given thanks... He distributed to those who were seated likewise also of the fish. So bread and fish, hey, as much as they wanted. All you can eat. So when they were filled, he says to his disciples, gather up the leftovers, gather up the fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and they filled... Guess what? Twelve baskets full. Twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Bread was left on the ground. I guess the fish was all gone. So when therefore the people saw the sign, which he had performed, they said, This is of a truth. This is the prophet who's to come into the world. <clears throat> Whoa. Verse 15. Hold, hold back. Hold back. Uh, because therefore, Jesus perceived that they were intended, intending to come and take him by force to make him king. He withdrew again to the mountain, by himself, alone. Extremely significant test there in Jesus' own life. And just as before, when Satan tested him, he passes every test with absolute faithfulness and Perfection. Father, thank you for your love for us, which allows us to be here, to worship you, to hear your word, to speak your word. May we receive this morning the bread of life that is the word of God. We need it. We need it for our hearts and our minds and our souls to nourish us and feed us because you teach us elsewhere that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. We have the words here which feed our souls.
We pray that we would in humility be as receptive as we could possibly be so that our souls might be fed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, I was tempted to title the sermon today, Soul Food. And here's one reason why. Every New Year's Day, I begin to crave peas, cornbread, greens, mashed potatoes. Well, y'all remember Michael Creed. Michael Creed's a pastor in Japan now. Well, last week he sends me a picture on Facebook Messenger, and the picture has some words with it, and it basically said, here's a a picture of a pot of collard greens. And then there's a plate, all right, that'll make your mouth water. There's greens, there's uh, uh, pork and beans, you know, I guess black-eyed peas weren't available, cornbread, mashed potatoes, and, and, and a stack of pork chops. And Michael's so excited because he knows I'll get it, all right? He says, we found the only person in Japan that grows collard greens, all right? And his wife, Yumi, cooked it up. So I started thinking, which is dangerous at times. You know, when you're a long way from home, there are some things about home that only home can satisfy the appetite. Michael's a long way from Franklin. Hey, we're a long way from Eden. We're a long way from our home heaven. But you and I are created as living souls. The Bible tells us that we are souls and that God breathed into us the breath of life. Larry Teeter said something very interesting a few weeks ago. Do you remember me mentioning artificial intelligence? AI? Larry, you had a good observation, which is rare for you, okay? If you knew Larry and me, you'd know why I did that. He says AI has no soul. That's important to remember. As you live out in a world filled with information and news and technology. So really, Matthew chap- Matthew, John chapter 6 gives us in this sign where our souls must go to be truly fed and nourished. Because the disciples of Jesus are operating on one level, the natural, the physical, the material. Jesus takes this physical miracle of multiplying food for the the masses, and he makes some really deep spiritual truth and application for the human soul that all of us need. Because it's on the heels of this sign and the water sign to come that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me shall never hunger. The one who drinks from me shall never thirst. So I'm going to go ahead and say from the beginning that this is really 
the, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the multitudes is really a message about the grace of God that saves and nourishes and satisfies and feeds the deepest longings that we have, not for physical things, material things, which we, we do need food and clothing and water. But there's something much deeper here. So I want to say that from the beginning. So the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus obviously multiplies uh, bread and fish, other symbols of other things. So for you and me, maybe if he had done this in our current culture, our current location, our current geography, our current day, maybe instead of fish and bread, it would have been peas and collards and cornbread. Okay, that's the intro. All right, there are four truths that I think this sign points us to, which are throughout the Gospel of John. They're also revealed through the other signs, but, but let me just get into this. Number one, you and I live in a world of overwhelming needs. Overwhelming needs. Now, obviously, the primary basic needs are physical. Somebody's got to feed all these people. But the overwhelming need that Jesus points to ultimately is the spiritual needs that underlie why there are physical needs in the first place. What I mean by that is that this is a test. This is only a test. Look at what Jesus asked. Where are we to buy bread that they may eat? This is a setup. Because what Jesus wants Philip and Andrew to realize is that there are enormous needs all around us. Look at this crowd. Look at all these people. What are we going to do with all these people and all these needs? Now, do you ever feel this way? I had a local pastor who pastors in town. He said that in 2023, it felt like their church was a constant revolving door of dire people in need, or rather people in dire need. I went into a local business and was talking with a person who was working behind the desk, and she began to share with me about her particular physical needs, and then as I was walking out the door, she reminded me and the other people that were in there that we live in a world that's in a complete and total mess. So we've got over needs, overwhelming needs within, and we've got overwhelming needs without. I mention this because this is a test for the disciples to diagnose where they are and to see if they see the multitudes as Jesus sees them. Because in one of the Gospels, it says about this sign that when Jesus saw the multitudes, that, that to him, in, in, in his wisdom and perspective, 
He had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. So his compassion and his awareness of our overwhelming needs sets the stage for this particular sign. Hey, why do we get hungry? Why do we get tired? Why do we get discontent? Why do we get frustrated? Why, why are things so overwhelming? Why are there so many food pantries and hospitals and nursing homes? Why all these social problems? What are we going to do? God is intentionally testing us and pressing us so that we will come to the end of ourselves and say, it's too much. Now the lighter side of me, and the old country boy in me, pardon me, <laughs> I went back to a song that I remember that Miss Loretta Lynn used to sing. Yeah. This is it. Overwhelming Needs. She's got a wonderful song from, I don't know, I guess maybe the 70s. She sings about all the social problems of the world, the stars of the world, how they're flying here and flying there. But here's a song of an overwhelmed mom and wife. And she says, But here in Topeka, the rain is a fallin'. The faucet is a dripping, and the kids are a bawling. One of them's a toddling, and one of them's a crawling, and then one's on the way. Come on, y'all. <laughs> I'm not that old, am I? Are you overwhelmed? Are you distracted and discontent? If you ate everything you could eat physically today for lunch, which some of us might do, you're going to be hungry again tomorrow. Do you know why? Because you and I are no longer in Eden, and we have, we have, we have been alienated and, and, and driven out from the tree of life, from the river of the water of life. Jesus asked this question as a test, do you recognize that, y'all, we live in a world of need because it's a sinful, fallen, broken world under the judgment and curse of God? You've got to get that from the beginning. So let's move on to number two. Uh, a world of overwhelming needs, but, but here's, the, here's the second part of that. We have inadequate resources. It just doesn't add up. There's too many people and too many problems Causing too much chaos. And, and, and like Philip and Andrew, when, when we work out the money and we work out what we have, there's no way, Jesus. It is ridiculous for us to think that we've got the money and that we've got the resources in and of ourselves to solve the problem of the dilemma of humanity. We can't. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But here's Philip thinking about the money. Here's Andrew thinking about what we got. What are they not seeing? Well, they're operating naturally. They're operating the way we normally, with our knee-jerk reactions, think. 
on a humanistic plane, on a naturalistic plane, they've already seen some signs that ought to show them Jesus is bigger than this. Jesus is good. He's gracious. He's supernaturally powerful. But before you get real hard on the disciples, think about your own life and how often that when something occurs, rather than a faithful, wise, godly reaction, you react with human reasoning, human emotion, human answers, human anxiety, human stress, human overwhelmingness, whatever that is. We live in a world of overwhelming needs. I've said enough about that. You live that every day. We also live in a world where our resources are extremely inadequate, woefully inept, and to think that I can feed myself, solve myself, save myself alone, much less the rest of humanity, is absolutely preposterous and ridiculous. And this test, rightly understood and rightly interpreted, shows us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that all of us are extremely in need of number three, which is mul multiplying grace. Multiplying grace. This is a gracious miracle. You know what the disciples said? The, the disciples, you know what they said? They said, hey, let's pass these people off on somebody else, Jesus. They did. One of the gospels say, well, send, send, Jesus, send them away. We can't take this anymore. And I guarantee you what they were thinking, well, I don't guarantee it because I don't have chapter and verse to back it up, but it's un underlying them and all of us in our thinking. You go out to the fellowship hall, and, and let's say there on a Tuesday or Sunday that, that there's only like three or four dishes, but there's 200 people. You're thinking, ah, I'm not going to get anything to eat, right? What about me? You know, is there going to be enough left over for me? Jesus, there's not enough here to feed all these. Send them away. Let them be somebody else's problem. This is multiplying grace. Did I say that already? Multiplying grace. I love what Jesus does here. Uh, I mean, and, and that, that ought to be an understatement. But John has already told us, he, he, of his fullness we have all received and, and, and grace upon grace. The law came through Moses, which condemns us all and reveals that we failed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it shows us how, how, how wicked and evil we can be and how fallen we are. But here's, here's multiplied grace in a practical, physical form. But it demonstrates the multiplied grace that you and I received through Christ in a more important area. Before I talk about the more important area, let's talk about what he does. I love this, y'all. He looks up and he gives thanks. He prays over that sack lunch. The other Gospels tell us that he gave it to his disciples and then his disciples distributed it out. So let's think about what that's saying. He provided grace to his followers, and then his followers gave what Jesus had given to them out to other people. And grace multiplied supernaturally 
in the physical realm in a way that, that should lead to the conclusion that Jesus is God. And Jesus is good. And though nobody here deserves anything, he's taken this little boy's sack lunch, which he surrendered and which he gave up. Have you ever thought about the little boy? Little boy could say, no, that's my fish and bread. You ain't getting my fish and bread. This is my soul food, right? No, he surrenders. The disciples surrender. Because in spite of their lack of faith, in spite of their getting the sign, when Jesus said, okay, have everybody sit down, you come to me and I'll, I'll give to you, then you give to others. What a beautiful picture of the church and of grace. And here's the gist of it. You go to Christ and you receive grace. And you, then you go out to others and you give to them the grace that you have received in Christ. And it, so many biblical texts and passages talk about His provision, His multiplication, His sufficiency. Everything you have is from God. Everything you have is grace. Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? It's pride and arrogance to think that I've made anything of my own. Everything we have is great. manna from above. What He gives you, you give to others. And then when they look at the scene, the guys that were worried about, well, if we give to all these people, is there going to be enough left over for me? And I guarantee you, every single one of us have had that thought. If I surrender my time, my money, my energy, my life, if I do all of this, what's... What's going to be for me? There's 12 baskets full left over for a reason. To teach each of those 12 knuckleheads that when you give your life away, you, you, you gain more. That He multiplies the grace that He gives to us and through us. But Satan's whispering in our ear and the flesh is whispering in our ear. Ah, hey, wait, hold, hold back. He's not that good, is he? He's not that supernatural, is he? Again, I'm just working through this. Hey, overwhelming needs, inadequate resources, multiplying grace in Jesus. But, but let me close by saying this. There are some transforming truths in this and after this that take us to another realm, okay? Beyond the physical, beyond the material. Now, all of this is true in the physical and the material, but every physical miracle Jesus did was to ultimately point to the greater miracles and the greater needs. And that are, those are the needs we have of forgiveness because we're guilty and under judgment and condemnation. Hey, before you and I need more bread and more life or new life, we need forgiveness. That's what we need. We also need transformation. I need a new nature. I still have a, a war inside of me between the old nature and the new nature, the, the flesh and the spirit. I need transformation. I need changing. And then I need future hope. I need, I need hope beyond this overwhelming, limited, fallen, cursed world. And, and, and I need the, the tree of life and the river of life. I need the hope 
that God has promised in the gospel. And what he says is, they come to him after this sign, and man, the crowds are still gathering. Why? Well, they want to see the next thing. They got fear of missing out. They got fear of missing out on the next free meal. Free bread? Hey, I'll sign up for that. And Jesus said, do not work for the bread that is physical. Rather work for the bread that is spiritual. How do we do that? And he simply says, believe and trust in me. You see, the idea they come up with, and this is important for us because, listen, this was July the 4th for the, for the, for the Israelite people. Well, I said it earlier, it's Passover. Independence. Freedom. Things that we talk about. So when they see Jesus do these signs and feeding everybody, guess what they say? With nationalistic fervor and zeal, they say, let's make this guy president, (laughs) all right? Let's make him king. Rome stinks. They're oppressing us. They're keeping us down. We've got all these social problems, and Rome is just bullying us around, and let's take him by force now, and let's make him a king. Why does Jesus withdraw? Because he's not just a prophet. He's not just a king. He's a priest. And our greatest need, although we need prophets to work signs and to speak God's word, kings to rule and lead, but our greatest need was atonement, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So he withdraws from that political pressure, that social pressure, and instead goes to be alone with the Father because his hour is coming. Now, now here's another connection. Stay with me. I, I promise you, I'm about to wind this thing up. Does it sound at all familiar when Jesus looks at the fish and the bread and he looks up at the heaven, and he breaks the bread, and he starts giving it out. I I don't know about you, but I kind of make a connection at Passover with our Passover. This is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. The way the king and the prophet would save us was by being the priest who would go and lay down his life for us and take upon himself sin and judgment, and become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I am the bread of life. He is, he is saying He is God. Come down to rescue us and redeem us and liberate us from sin and death. These are transforming truths, transcending truths. So I asked permission from Miss Lois McCann to share with you what I'm about to share. It's connected to what she's gone through the last week and a half when her son Aaron died on the 25th of January. We had a memorial service yesterday, so those of you who were here yesterday kind of get, get, get a better feel for, for where this is and where it's going. And I'm not going to regurgitate, so to speak, that, but I, but I am going to tell you this, that the community here, In the community in South Carolina, at her time of of need, her time of deep spiritual, relational, emotional need, 
She called me, she says, Neil, you know, I've realized something today. All, all these people in their subdivision, and they're bringing food. They're feeding us. And they're meeting a need. But then she took it another angle. Miss Lois is a, is a person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. She feeds on Christ and His Word. She's been doing that the whole time. And, and, and I was blessed by what she shared with me. She said, Neil, them bringing food to us, physical food, meant so much more than just physical food. We felt love. We felt encouragement. We felt hope. And then she, she said this. She, she went to a, a greater truth. She went to some higher ground. She said, you know, it remi- reminded me of David. Before his little child died, he wouldn't eat. He was grieving. He was praying. He was searching. He was wondering. And he refused to eat. But then Miss Lois said, but, but after the child died, People brought food, and he started eating. And so David's servant says, what's up with this? Like, b- before the child died, you wouldn't eat. And, and now that the child has died, you're, you're starting to meet your, your physical needs again. And then Lois said what David said in that moment. David said, at this point, I can't. He, he can't come to me. He can't come back to me. But I know that one day I will go to him. I will go to him. In that moment in David's life, the physical feeding, David used that to speak to a higher transcendent truth. In, in Jesus' ministry, the physical feeding was pointing to the love of God and the grace of God that saves and gives eternal life. And somebody like Miss Lois made that connection in her own life as God fed her truth, greater truth. And she said, our son will not come back to us now. But we know through the grace of Jesus and the cross, one day we will go to him. And she said, that's why me... And my family right now are able to eat the physical food. It's because we've been feeding on something deeper and more powerful, and that's the food of the gospel, the food of Jesus, the food of the great I am. The only thing that will ever satisfy the human heart is intimacy and righteousness and oneness and reconciliation with God. That's the only thing that will satisfy the aching of our human soul. That's the point Jesus makes at the rest of John chapter 6. If you really want the good sermon on this, if you want the righteous sermon on this, then go home and read John chapter 6. Jesus does it perfectly. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the grace of your word that feeds us truth beyond our human need, our physical need. Yes, we need water and food and clothes, and we're called to provide that. But, but you press this upon us in such a, a, a 
pressing way, Father, that, that we are to come to you to trust you for all of our needs. So we cast on you our every care today because we see through this sign how deeply you care for us. And you told us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and you will provide all of our needs. Help us to see, Lord, with the eyes of faith that our greatest need is for grace, forgiveness, eternal life beyond the temporal and fallen and superficial things of this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand and sing together. Make me a blessing. As He feeds us and blesses us, we go to others. You come as we sing. Teresa and Zach, Kinsley's parents, come. And Bryson, our family ministry pastor. Amen. We're blessed to have y'all here today. Um,
as we do with everyone who joins our church, uh, a copy of the Bread of Life, the Word of God, a certificate of baptism. Bryson's going to present that to Miss Kinsley. And then, <laughs> hey, come on down. We're friendly down here. You come on. Um, what a blessing. And so, in talking with the family, uh, Kinsley would like to formally unite with our church. Uh, she's made a profession of faith. She's been baptized. What is the pleasure of Glenlock Baptist Church in light of um, what's before us? Okay, I have a, a, a movement. <laughs> I have a second. All in favor, let me know my saying amen. 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 That is a blessing. Yes. Um, I know today at 5, choir practice, next Sunday night, Super Bowl party. Um, yeah. Hey, one of the things that we want to transition to on Sunday nights, if you'll notice in the bulletins that we have now, the paper bulletins, which I really like because I'm tangible and hands-on, there are family and personal discussion questions related to the sermon that you can go over with your family tonight in lieu of an evening Bible study or at some point during the week. So what we're encouraging you to do is to get with your family and us to do. Get with your family and talk through the things that God is teaching us in, in, in the signs that are in uh, John's Gospel. So uh, any other thing, Catherine, that we need to... I'm going to ask Bryson to stand with his family, and after our benediction, you come and uh, welcome Kinsley into our church fellowship. Catherine, if you'll close this, please. Let's sing Family God together. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Y'all have a great week.